0: The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. As many of you know, um, I am a Southern Belle. I'm from Missouri. or Misery, If it's humid, we call it misery. And misery is a lot different than Green Bay in many ways, especially in the winter. Winter in St. Louis was usually icy and ugly but it was also sunny. Um, here in Wisconsin, winters are, are colder, uh, they're snowier, and they're also darker. Well, the first uh, few years I was here, I really enjoyed winter a lot, and I still enjoy many things about winter, uh, but it started to get harder and harder to live through winter, and the reason it got harder is because I started to get more and more tired during winter, and it kind of happened gradually, and it kind of snuck up on me, but I really knew it was bad when we decided to rearrange our offices. And at the time, Chris Steinberger and Jason were on staff, and they put the big couch in Pastor Dan's office because they knew Pastor Dan needs to to take naps during the day. And so they put the big couch in my office so I could take naps during the day. And I would take one, two, sometimes three naps during the day. And I'd get home, and I'd go to put my kids to sleep at night, and I'd fall asleep before they would. And so I was so extremely tired. Now, when I would meet with people or talk with people, they probably didn't know that, that I was so tired because people give me energy. I love being around people, <clears throat> but I, ha- I, was, I was unhealthy. I, I couldn't sleep, and I, I didn't know what was going, going wrong. So I went to the doctor last year, finally, enough was enough, and he did some blood work, and um, the results came back, and it didn't show anything was wrong, and he told me, drink more water, <laughs> I could be a doctor if that's the solution. <laughs> Drink more water. <clears throat> it's a good thing. But anyways, so I, uh, I, I walked away from there, and it started to become summer, and I got more energy, and I kind of forgot about this, this condition, this problem. But then winter struck again this year, and I started to get tired. And, and I realized it because I was putting the kids to sleep, and I was falling asleep as I was putting them down for the night. And it's kind of scary because I think to myself, I'm going to be a zombie for the next three or four months. Well, the next day, Tricia said, why don't you just try some vitamin D?" I'm like, okay, I'll try vitamin D. And so she gave me some vitamin D pills and I, I, I put them in my mouth, I ate them. And, and sure enough, instantly, things were better. I didn't need naps anymore. I'm a little bit more tired than in the summer, but I was able to stay awake throughout the day and go to bed at a normal time. I didn't wake up a lot during the night, and things just immediately got better. And what was so surprising to me is that the solution was so very simple. Vitamin D, that's it. You can just go to Walgreens or Walmart or any store and just pick up vitamin D. And that's all that it took to totally change my life and make me healthy again. What we're going to see today is that the people of God are sick. They are in a very dark place. Pastor Chad talked about this last week and did a great job of showing the spiritual condition of Israel. The priests were in a horribly dark place. The people of God did what was right in their own eyes, not what was right in the eyes of God. They were terribly sick. And the amazing thing is the solution is so extremely simple. And what we're going to see today is, is, as it whispered last week, the, the hope through Samuel growing in the, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that, that God is going to commission Samuel this week to bring back life and vitality to the people of God. And the solution is so very, very, very simple. Proclaim the word of the Lord. It's that easy. Teach the word of the Lord. Submit to the word of the Lord. And so what we're going to see today is that the health of a church, the health of the people of God, can often de- be determined by how they handle or don't handle the word of the Lord. If you would please open up the First Samuel chapter 3. We're going to work through the whole chapter is page 227 in the Red Bible and page 301 in the Children's Bible. Today's passage is extremely applicable because it answers many questions. It answers the questions, if if you are looking for a church or if you move, it answers the question, what should you be looking for in a church? What should you be looking for in a pastor? What are the things that you should be thinking about when you visit churches? What should you be, should be filtering to see if it has this thing? But it also tells us what it looks like to be a healthy church. Not that any church is perfect, but what it looks like to grow in health as a church and how we can grow more healthy as a church. And again, the answer is so simple it's simply rightly handling the word of the Lord. And what we'll see today is that amongst God's people, the word of the Lord must be taught abundantly. The word of the Lord must be heard submissively. The word of the Lord must be spoken indiscriminately. And the word of the Lord must be preached pervasively. And so before we dig in to the word of the Lord, let's pray. Lord, your word is food for our hungry souls. It is the authority of our life. Help us to place ourselves underneath it and to let it wash over us that all of our life might be guided and directed by your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing we see in this passage is that the word of the Lord must be taught abundantly. Look at verse one with me, if you would. It says, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now, what does it mean that the word of the Lord was rare in those days? Well, I think it means two things. The first is this, is that the people have forsaken the teaching of Of the word of the Lord. They have stopped faithfully and abundantly proclaiming and talking about the word of the Lord. Many years earlier, in the book of Deuteronomy, is recorded something that is famous to Jews. It's called the Shema, and it should be famous to Christians as well. And the Shema is in Deuteronomy 6 4 through 9, and it's a scripture that Jewish children would learn from a very early age. In fact, there are some Jews today that still recite this twice a day. And the Shema goes like this. The Shema says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so it tells us who the Lord is, but then it tells us how we should respond. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today, the word of the Lord shall be on your heart. that God is communicating in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, is very clear that we are called to saturate our lives with the word of the Lord. And we are called to saturate the lives of our children with the word of the Lord. We are to teach it. We are to talk about it. We are to put it up as signs all around us. We must be submersed in the word of the Lord. Now, if Israel had been doing this in the time of Samuel, if they had been faithful to the Shema, if they had been teaching and talking and thinking and looking at the word of the Lord, I do not think that it would say that the word of the Lord is, was rare in those days. See, the word of the Lord was rare because the people became bored with God's word. And so part of it, part of the meaning of the word of the Lord was rare in those days is that people were no longer teaching it abundantly, but the second thing it means is what comes right after this phrase. It says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent visions. And so this is what I think 3.1 is telling us. That because the people of God did not love God's word, that because they did not speak God's word, because they did not cherish God's word, God was not going to give them a new word. God was not going to give him ongoing revelation because the word that he gave to them, they had forsaken, and so he was not going to give them anymore. This is exactly what God does in the book of Amos. He proclaims judgment on a rebellious people, and this is a judgment. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord in Amos and in first Samuel God's judgment for not loving his word was a removal of his word you see God knows something that we so often forget that God's word is precious that God's word is priceless that God's word is more costly than gold or silver there's a story in Reader's Digest several, several, several years ago about a a couple who sent their son off to college. And after sending him off to college, he would write letters back. That's how I know it's old. It wasn't text messages or emails or Facebook. But he sent letters back to them asking them for money because he was in need of money. And so they would respond to him by letter, and they would tell him, go to this verse that we gave you in your Bible. Go to it and read it, and it will supply all of your needs. Well, he would write back, and he said, I read the Bible, but I still need money. And so they would send another verse. Go look at this verse in the Bible. Well, finally, he came home for the semester, and they said, you weren't reading your Bible, were you? He said, yes, I was. And they said, we know you weren't reading your Bible. He goes, how did you know? And they said, because in the Bible, we put $10 bills and $20 bills, and all you had to do was open it up, and you would have had the money that you needed. You see, the son was unaware of something that the parents knew, that the word of the Lord was full of riches. Not just $10 bills and $20 bills, but the word of God was full of the riches. It had the words of eternal life, the words of divine wisdom, the words of hope and comfort and glory. We all forget the riches of God's word. I know I do. This past weekend, we went on a leadership retreat. And it's customary. One of the things we do, which I'm always so tempted to skip, to be honest, is we take an hour and we say, you know what? We're just going to be quiet and we're going to pray and we're going to go into God's word. And without fail, God uses that time through his word to pierce our souls. And one of the common threads when we came back together and shared what the Lord was teaching us was this. Why don't we do this more often? God's word is so good. It is so wonderful. And at home, I get so distracted by the chaos of life. I forget to sit and be still and to learn from the word of the Lord. You know, book studies are great things. They're a gift from God, but they don't compare to studying the word of the Lord. Amy Carmichael put it this way. She said, never let good books take the place of the Bible. Drink from the well, not from the streams that flow from the well. Don't just study books that talk about the Bible. Study the Bible. It's the word of the Lord for us. It is treasure for poor souls. It is direction for lost souls. It is food for hungry souls. If you're here today and you're just passing through Jacob's well, maybe you're from out of town or or maybe the Lord will call you to go someplace else. When you are looking for a church, would you find a church that just says these five little words? Would you find a church that says, please open your Bibles too? Find a church that says that. Because the word of the Lord is God's plan for faithfulness and for health and for revival. And so find a church that teaches the word of the Lord abundantly and joyfully and faithfully. Now that's not enough. We also see that the word of the Lord must also be heard submissively. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, which is also a commentary on his spiritual condition, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Let's pause there for a minute. This lamp of God is telling us a few things. The first thing that it's telling us is the time of day. The lamp was lit from late at night till early in the morning. So it's telling us that this event that we're about to read happened before sunrise. But it also tells us that the event that is about to happen happens in the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is, the Holy of Holies, where God would come and talk to his people. And then the third thing that it tells us, that it reminds us, is that Israel is not hopeless. Despite the spiritual blindness of the leaders of Israel, despite the perversion of Eli and his sons, there is still a flicker of hope that God is going to be faithful to his promises, that he will not let the flame of Israel be extinguished because of their wickedness. And so we read, The lamp of God had not yet gone out And Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Let's stop to talk about this ark of God. The ark of God is also called the ark of testimonies or the ark of the covenant. You see it in Indiana Jones if you're old enough. The ark of the covenant. And it is a major part of the storyline over the next couple chapters of 2 Samuel. I actually brought a picture here. Um, I stole it off the internet and what you'll see is this is kind of what the Ark of the Covenant would look like. It would have poles, so people wouldn't touch the Ark. Inside it were the, was the word of the Lord, the two tablets um, of the Ten Commandments, also Aaron's staff and a pot filled with the manna that God provided in the wilderness. And the Ark of the Covenant was one of the most precious items, most priceless pieces of furniture in the worship of Israel. Because the Ark of the Covenant was where God came and met with his people. In the very next chapter, as we'll see next week, we read that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts is where he was enthroned amongst the cherubim. In Numbers 7, 89, we read that when Moses went into the tent of meetings to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. And so this ark was extremely significant to Israel as we will see in the next couple of weeks because this is where God came in his glory to talk to his people. And so there Samuel is laying down in the Holy of Holies next to the ark of God where he comes and talks to his people. And so we move on to verse four. Read with me, look in your Bibles if you would. It says, then the Lord called Samuel... And he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. In other words, Samuel knew about the Lord, Samuel probably feared the Lord, but Samuel did not have a personal relationship with the Lord yet. It says, And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak. Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in the place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. If you remember back in verse 1, we read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, that there were no frequent visions. But here we see a turning point in the history of Israel in which the Lord is engaging with his people to speak his word to his people through this man, Samuel. And what Samuel recognizes is that the appropriate response, according to what Eli says, is to come and to say to the Lord, speak, for your servant hears. You know, Samuel's response is much like the prophet Isaiah who said, Here I am, Lord, send me. You see, Samuel was not just beginning a relationship with the Lord, but these words show us that Samuel was beginning a submissive relationship to the Lord. He does not say, I will listen, but he says, Your servant, your bondservant, your slave hears. This word here in the Hebrew is shomah. And it means to hear intelligently, often with the implication of attention and obedience. And so Samuel wasn't just listening to the Lord for information. He was hearing from the Lord as a servant of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie White Men Can't Jump. Not necessarily the best movie, but in the movie, um, there are two characters, Sidney Dean and Billy Hoyle, and they're driving in a convertible and they put on Jimi Hendrix. And Sidney says, look, man, you can listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear him. Do you remember this? No one? Okay. (laughs) He goes on and he says, uh, there's a difference, man. Just because you're listening to him doesn't mean you're hearing him. You know what this is like in our own life, don't we? When we're talking to someone and they're listening but they're not hearing us and you're kind of like are you are you hearing me? You know, when when we when we tell our kids we love you or when we say pick up your shoes, there's more than just listening. We want them to hear us, we want them to understand it, we want them to internalize it and put it into practice. In the words of Sydney from White men can't jump, which evidently nobody's seen. (laughs) You can listen to God, but that doesn't mean that you are hearing God. Samuel says, speak, for your servant hears. See, Samuel is doing more than just listening to God talk. Samuel is placing himself under the authority of God's word. He is giving it command over his life. You see, the abundance of God's word is necessary, but it is not enough. You can come here and listen to God's word all day long, but it makes no matter if you are not hearing God's word and submitting yourself to God's word. When we read God's word, when we teach God's word, when we listen to God's word, we must also hear God's word as servants of God and his word. And so this leads us to the question Do you hear God's word or do you just listen to God's word? What filters do you come with to God's word? What areas do you say, I will do anything God's asked me to except for this? What areas of your life do you feel like are unconquerable, are off limits that God is not allowed to touch? Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it is your free time. Whatever it might be. Maybe it is that pet sin that you just do not want to get rid of. Where are you saying, Lord, I'm listening to you, but I'm not going to hear you. I'm not going to obey what you tell me. I'm going to be the master of my life in this area. You see, we not only need the word abundantly, but we also must submit ourselves to God's word. Teaching God's word abundantly is important, but it is not enough. We must hear God's word submissively. The third thing we see is the word of the Lord must be spoken indiscriminately. Last week, Pastor Chad did a great job at walking through the second half of 1 Samuel chapter 2. It starts by telling us that Eli's sons were worthless men, and then the rest of the chapter backs it up, doesn't it? Eli was a priest, and his sons Hophni and Phinehas were also priests. Eli is kind of a complicated character. We see some positive attributes in him at times, but his sons were completely wicked men. They were horrible men. The sons robbed the people of their sacrifices and they blasphemed God. There was no fear or reverence of God. They were sexual predators laying with women who were working in the temple. They were so unashamedly wicked that their reputation had spread throughout Israel. And although the father Eli eventually rebuked them, they paid no attention and they turned away again from the Lord. There was no repentance in their heart whatsoever. And so 1 Samuel chapter 2 ends with a man of God coming to Eli to rebuke him for honoring his kids above the Lord. And this man of God pronounces judgment on the household of Eli, declaring that indeed both of Eli's sons will die on a single day. And so here we get to verse 11. And the Lord does not send a man of God to speak. But God himself comes to speak to a man named Samuel. And I'm guessing as Samuel is hearing from the Lord for the very first time, he is so excited to hear what God is going to say about the redemption of Israel, about all the good things that the Lord is going to do. And so he hears with bated breath, what is the Lord going to tell me? And we read it here in verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle, not in delight, but in anguish. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And so not only does God come and reaffirm what the man of God said in the previous chapter, but God even adds to it and says, listen, the sins of the household of Eli will not be atoned by sacrifice forever. Now, this might be confusing to us because we think, doesn't God forgive every sin? Isn't every sin forgivable? And the answer is absolutely. You see, the Lord appears to Samuel, and he speaks this word of judgment. And the message the Lord gives not only confirms their death, but confirms their eternal destiny. And it isn't simply because they sinned, but it's because they failed to repent of their sin. There is no sacrifice to atone for those who don't repent. Sacrifice alone does not atone and pay the price for sin. Repentance activates God's atonement through the sacrifice of His only Son. You see, repentance is kind of like a light switch. You flip it on, and the light comes on, it activates the light. When we come to God and we repent of our sin, we're sorry for our sin. We're sorry for the ways that we have offended a holy God, ran away from him. When we are sorry and we turn to Christ as our Savior, it activates the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Jesus puts it this way. He says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In Acts 3 it says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Eli's sons were not repentant of their sins and because of it, there was no atonement for their sins. The Westminster Confession of Faith is something we use to help, to help summarize what we believe the Bible says about repentance and salvation and things of that sort. And question 85 asks, what does God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin, then the answer is to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin. God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ and repentance unto life. And so let me ask you this question. Have you just listened to God's word or have you heard God's word? Has it convicted your heart and lead you to repentance? Do you see the holiness and majesty of God and the wickedness and sinfulness of your heart and come before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner? The Westminster goes on and says, what is repentance unto life? And it says, repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Now listen, there is a repentance unto life. That is our initial repentance in which we come to God. We confess we are sinners and we look to Christ for our salvation, but there is a continual repentance that God calls us to. Martin Luther said we're to live a lifestyle of repentance. Because repentance leads us back to Christ. Do not be like Eli's sons, for whom there was no atonement for sin, because there was no repentant of sin. Friends, this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life, to repent of your sin, that Christ might atone for your sin, that you can be with God for all eternity the passage continues. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the door of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid. He was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. Then Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so you and and more, also, if you hide anything from me, of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. In this passage, more than once, Eli called Samuel his son. Eli was the one who raised Samuel There was probably a great bond between these two men serving in the temple. You can imagine how difficult it was for Samuel to hear this judgment against a spiritual father for him. You can imagine how much worse it was to know that he had to tell him what was said. And yet what we see here is even though Samuel was afraid, Samuel was still faithful. Samuel told him everything. And kept from him nothing. You know, in Acts 20, the Apostle Paul says to the church, he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is what Samuel did. He did not hide anything from Eli, but he told him all that God had communicated. Samuel spoke the word of God indiscriminately. And what I mean by that is Samuel did not take the hard parts and put it away. He divulged to Eli the whole word of the Lord, all that the Lord had spoken. He said it to Eli. You see, the word of the Lord is often offensive, isn't it? The word of the Lord tells us that Our best efforts are like filthy rags to God when it comes to meriting our salvation. That we are sinners, that we have betrayed God, and that we are all deserving of hell. That is extremely offensive. And even more so, it says the only way to be saved is by trusting in Christ, that Christ alone is the only way of salvation. It is so extremely offensive, but it does not make it untrue. These are not easy truths, but they are true truths. And this passage is a great reminder to people like me and like Chad and others who proclaim the word of God that we must not discriminate against the hard passages in the Bible, that we must not leave out passages that are offensive to you or to me or to our culture. In order to be faithful ministers of the gospel, we must preach everything in the word of the Lord and must hide nothing from you you know, to be honest with you, I don't like this. (laughs) I'm a conflict avoider. I don't like talking about hard things. But God has called us to be faithful. And to be faithful means to be offensive. Not, Not with my personality, not with my pride, not with my arrogance, but offensive with the Word of God. Offensive with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are looking for a church, please find a church that will offend you. Not with their character, not with their personality, not with their rudeness, although I'm sure all of us will do that. Find a church that will offend you with the word of God. Find a church that will poke at your idols and make you angry. Find a church that will confront you in love and care and point you to Jesus. And so we see the word of the Lord must be proclaimed, must be taught, must be spoken indiscriminately. Finally, the word of the Lord must be preached pervasively. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this passage, but look at verse 19 with me. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again to Shiloh, at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel and at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, all Israel, it says from Dan to Beersheba, that's talking about just, it's everywhere. It'd be like saying from Alaska to Florida, from Maine to California, that all of Israel heard the word of the Lord through this prophet Samuel. He did not discriminate. He did not tell it just to the people in Jerusalem or Judea, but he told it to all of Israel. That all might hear the word of the Lord. And it proved that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. Now, what proves a prophet to be a true prophet is if the things they prophesy come true. And so if they say this is going to happen or that is gonna happen, if those don't happen, it means they're not a true prophet and they're called to stone that person. But everything that Israel that, excuse me, everything that Samuel said, because he was speaking the word of the Lord came true, and he spoke it pervasively to everyone. We are called to set forth the word of God to all the nations. Jesus in the Great Commission says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit, but then teaching them, teaching them all that I have commanded you, to observe all that I have commanded you, teaching them my word, the word of the Lord. And so our preaching must be pervasive. Let me end with this. Last January, Chad and I went to a conference in Florida, mostly because it was January and it was a conference in Florida. And I do actually have a picture of it here. There it is. There's the two happy couple. They're right there. (laughs) And you see here this sign that says, Post Tenebas Lux. Post Tenebas Lux. And I didn't know what that meant. I probably should have. I've been to seminary. But to be honest, I didn't know what it meant. This week, I started digging a little bit more to find out what it meant. And what I found out is that it's actually a fairly famous phrase. If you could go to the next picture, if you went to Geneva, Switzerland, you would go and there's this famous wall. And the four men there that are statues um, are men that led the Reformation, such as John Calvin, John Knox, and two others. I can't remember who they are. (laughs) But but they're famous, that's right. Um, And each of them are holding... A Bible. Each of them are holding the word of the Lord, and then you can't see it very clearly here. If you're close enough, you might be able to, but on the wall behind it is the words post Tenebas Lux. It was a theme that came out of the Reformation. It was actually printed on coins and printed in marble and printed all over the city, post Tenebas Lux. You see, before these men came, there was what we called the Dark Ages in which the word of God was taken away from the people of God. It was kept among the high priestly rank. And they talked about it and they shared it, but they also manipulated it to fit their needs and their wants and their desires. And it was a dark time in the history of the world, both spiritually but also morally. But then something changed. Bold, brave men and women stood up to proclaim the word of God to ordinary people. And something dramatically changed. Post-tenebus lux. Anybody know what that means? That's right, good. After darkness, light. And what was it that brought light to the church? What was it that brought joy to the church? What was it that brought reformation to the church? It was the word of the Lord. You see, the word of the Lord for the first time in centuries was being taught abundantly. It was being heard submissively. It was being spoken indiscriminately. And it was being preached pervasively. And so the people of the Reformation, living in the 16th and 17th century, celebrated that there was a time of great darkness. But because of the word of the Lord, light has come. The key to revival in the church, the key to revival in our own hearts, It's so, so simple. It's the word of the Lord. Let us be people who not only teach and hear and speak and preach the word of the Lord, but let us be people who love and cherish it in the depth of our heart. Let's pray. Lord, we take your word for granted so often. We are so distracted, Lord. God, pray that you would revive in us a a love for your word. Lord, I pray if there are areas of our life, and I think all of us have them, where we don't want to give the word authority over that area of our life. Lord, pray that you would break our hard hearts and help us to submit to your word, knowing that it is better than our rebellion, that it is sweeter than our sin. Lord, may your word penetrate our hearts. God, help us, Lord, to be faithful to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.